Hi, Spring fans. Welcome to a beautiful podcast. I'm your host, Spring Developer Advocate Josh Long, and this show is all about the real heroes behind Spring and its ecosystem. Welcome to another installment of a beautiful podcast. How are you this fine Thursday afternoon, the 15th of December? I am doing well, thank you. I'm busy preparing for Spring One Essentials, which, uh, of course, is the uh, online incarnation of Spring One after we uh, had to postpone it until January. 2023, so that'll air 24 to 26 January 2023. Do not miss it. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's online. Um, uh, I, we have just so much in store for you, my friends. Just so, so much. Uh, last week, I, I know we have so much in store because last week I got to hang out with some of the spring team, and I think I talked to you about that. Um, it was just really a big sense of like joy and, and gratitude I have that you know I got to hang with that, hang out with these people I've so long admired and. I respect and, and uh, for a good many of them haven't seen since the be- since before the pandemic. You know, it's just been such a privilege to see them all. Uh, I've been lucky uh, to be in the room. You know, I just really, really enjoyed that that privilege. So, uh, and and this week I'm hanging out with my friend and teammate Deshaun Carter, who I adore uh, working with as well. Uh, you know, I'm also working on all the usual stuff, right? I've got meetings and uh, presentations on which I'm working and all that. Uh, I'm also working a lot on the new Spring Boot 3 AOT engine. I've talked to you about this uh, before, but I, I just feel like there's so much we can do to better explore and explain it. The possibilities are endless. Uh, did you see, by the way, the uh, two-hour Spring Tips video I did a couple weeks ago introducing it? It's on Spring Tips. It's on my usual playlist, um, and it's just a full, in-depth, like, you know, uh, master class, deep dive kind of thing. Um, uh, looking at everything from the consumer perspective, from an application developer's perspective, all the way to the framework developer's perspective. Uh, and there's also some useful, I hope, review of the core Spring Framework component model, just some of the features that maybe people didn't realize Spring could do. Uh, and the reason that's all discussed is because I want people to see how those things work um, with whatever caveats apply, in most cases none, uh, in the context of an AOT GraalVM native image. Right. So really, really phenomenal um, piece of technology, and I, I did my best to do it justice, but I'll let you decide. I hope you'll watch it. Uh, there's just so much good stuff there. I really, I'm really looking forward to uh, exploring it some, some more. And of course, now the holiday season is upon us, uh, and I love this time of year. Obviously, the time to catch up with family and friends, to celebrate, to f- find peace and solace in the quiet of burdened, uh, burden-free days. You know, that's, that's a privilege that I hope all of us get to enjoy at some point in our lives. And this year, it looks like I might have that as well. Fingers crossed, obviously. Uh, but um, but in with that solitude, with that peace, with that quiet, uh, you know, comes an opportunity to learn, right? This is also a great time to learn. This is a great time to secrete away, to put on some audiobooks or podcasts. Uh, you know, obviously Safari and Coursera and Udemy and and all and live lessons and all the rest are are replete with options, with with things that you can put your mind to and and, and use to expand your horizons, right? Do that this these few weeks that we have, we have coming up. Um, Maybe you don't have the time off. Maybe it's not interesting for you, but so many other people will have the time off that uh, you can probably, you know, find some extra hours uh, to learn, right? Just, you got to invest in yourself, people. This is, uh, it's not easy. It's not cheap. Um, but if you can do it, it is certainly, it'll, it'll certainly pay dividends. And I, I try as a Christmas gift to myself to, to do something a little different, you know, to learn something a little different. Even, and by the way, when I say different, I don't mean like go learn, a, you know, a whole new ecosystem, but you could try, you know, you could like go explore some other technology or whatever. Um, or even within the same ecosystem, if you're already in the JVM community, 
you know, maybe now's a good time to learn whatever, you know, <laughs> uh, JRuby or, or, or uh, what's that, what's that uh, Lisp variant on the, on the JVM? I mean, there's just um, closure, right? You can just, now's a good time to explore something new, right? Or maybe learn a new different language, a human language, like a spoke, spoken language, right? Um, there's just opportunities here, my friends, lots of opportunities. Don't sleep on those opportunities. Uh, find a way to turn off emails, meetings, all that kind of stuff, and give the gift that keeps on giving, knowledge, right? Um, obviously, uh, passive learning is still learning, right? You, if you can do it uh, without distraction, it's, it's borderline active learning at that point, right? It's, it's a good idea. And one person I always learn a lot from is Brian Bent, who's a friend and counterpart over at Microsoft. He's one of those people I've known for a long time and who works tirelessly to advance the state of Java. Uh, he's a good egg. He's a, straight up one of the very few people I was just very happy to hang out with over Zoom calls uh, during the pandem pandemic in lockdown. Um, you know, he's just a nice person. He's one of those few people I can just get on a call and talk to, you know, for whatever. We just talk, like, hey, would you learn anything new recently? You know, like, yeah, sure. We, we have great conversations. Um, and if so I was, it was against that backdrop of, of many just sort of unforced natural conversations that turned into Zoom calls. Uh, that I was just very surprised when I realized that I hadn't had him on the show yet. Uh, and he hadn't graced us with his, um, his, uh, his knowledge on the show. And I was just very glad when, he, when, when, when I finally did ask him and he said yes, he would be able to do it. And uh, so here he is, my friend. This is my friend uh, and yours, uh, Brian Benz uh, from Microsoft, working on Microsoft Azure. He's a Java champion. He's an advocate for Java. Been working tirelessly. Uh, to advance the state of Java for, for you know, decades and uh, just really glad to have the chance to talk with him. I hope you learned something from him. I certainly do. And, um, I, you know, he's just a good person to know. So enjoy this episode, my friends. And as always, stay safe. Oh, it's recording. Good stuff. Um, Yeah, so we were... Uh, for people that just joined us, we have established that we need vacations. And um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's it, it's going to be hard to break. It's going to be hard to concentrate on Java now that you and I have just spent all this time talking about vacations. Uh, but we should try. Let's try. <sighs> so, for the audience, <laughs> for the audience, so that I don't butcher it, uh, can you introduce yourself, Brian? Hey, everybody. Uh, so my name is Brian Benz. I am a cloud advocate at Microsoft. Uh, and um, I am a Java champion as well. And I've been working with Java for about 20 years. And I've been at Microsoft about 10 years. Has it been 10 years already? It has wow. just this month, actually 10 years at Microsoft. Yeah. Yeah. So that when was that time you took me around the, the campus and we saw all that cool stuff that they told me they'd have to kill me if I spoke a word about it. That's uh, right. Yeah, it was like 2017. We went to the holodeck. Right. Uh, yes. That was five years ago. I remember you saying you'd been there like for five years. I'm like, oh, that's cool. You know, but 10 years now. Gosh, that's a long time. Yeah. Time um, flies. And we met before that. I think a couple years before that. Sure. At spring one in Washington, D.C. I remember oh. yeah, way back I when. Yeah. Way back when. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah, I'm uh, five years, 10 years now, 10 years at Microsoft. How, have you, so you've been kind of uh, working on the Java stuff the entire time? Or what was your like original sort of venture? 
Sure. So I was hired. It's I was hired because of my Java skills, but yeah. that was not a big enough thing 10 years ago for Microsoft to just dedicate one person to it. So I was actually, Java was part of my job. <laughs> I was right. uh, I was in charge of working with the NoSQL vendors like MongoDB and CouchDB and CouchBase and Cloudant and all these old companies that some of them still around, some not. And yeah, uh, yeah and, and Joomla, Drupal, all, all these sort of open source things. Uh, it was in yeah. this open tech and, and Java was part of this, right? So Java was still, um, uh, for Microsoft at least, still something that uh, people talked about in perhaps a negative way uh, back then. Uh, and um, you know, it was uh, it was something that they're sort of just kicking the tires. What can we do with Java on the cloud? And they knew right. that they had a cloud platform, and it was different from their Windows products. And they needed to be able to have every language running on the cloud. So yeah, that's what I was hired for. I was hired for my Java skills. Um, it was a. Uh, I was uh, actually. I went through one interview round and I didn't get the job. And then six months later, they called me and asked me to come in again. And that one, I, I, I guess I passed and I got the job that time. So yeah, that was cool. So yeah, I hired for my Java skills, but right away I didn't use them. I didn't use them for about the first two years. I was working with just, it was part of everything else. Yeah. Right. But when did they, so, okay. When did they announce, when did they create this Java group? First of all, that's, I guess my question. Yeah, so um, that would have been around 2014. Uh, we hired some folks, um, and they're, most of them are no longer at Microsoft. But our first effort was to build a plugin for Eclipse and IntelliJ. Uh, and that deployed things to our uh, to different targets, Azure App Service and a few other things. Uh, so that's what we did. We, we basically created plugins for Eclipse and IntelliJ, and then we tried to figure out what else we could do. And at the same time, uh, there was this thing called, um, uh, this thing that we were actually creating called Cosmos DB. It wasn't called Cosmos DB back then. Um, and, uh, it's changed names a few times, but Cosmos DBs are, for those of you who might not know, is our NoSQL uh, a multi, multi-model database, they call it. And yeah. Uh, yeah, so we had to have some Java APIs for that because we need, you know, MongoDB uh, is the popular version of that. So we went from Eclipse and IntelliJ to MongoDB. We also started working with um, Jenkins at that time, which, yeah. as you know, you know, Kasuke Kawaguchi, KK, and... Uh, the uh, the group there did a great job. It's a Java based application. Yeah, it's probably the most popular, aside from Spring, the most popular Java open source project ever. Uh, and, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, it's, isn't that, so by the way, for people listening, he was on the show. Uh, Kosuke was on the podcast some minutes ago. Uh, some same number of minutes greater than zero and less than five trillion, um, and then. And then, yeah, Jenkins, yeah, that's an interesting avenue to expl- explore. Because when you think of developer advocacy for Java, yep. yeah, you're right. We don't, I don't, not a lot of us who purport to be Java advocates, including myself, 
spend mm-hmm. time talking about Java infrastructure, but you're right. That is a huge part of the ecosystem, isn't it? Uh, right. It's part, it, and isn't that, oh, that's so true. You're right. That's an angle I never even thought about. Like, what is the killer app for your language in runtime, right? Like Rails was the killer app for Ruby. Plone, yeah. uh, at, 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 decades ago, Plone and Zope were the killer apps for Python. And now, of course, there's any number of other things, including yeah. like machine learning and TensorFlow and all that. But mm-hmm. uh, And then for Java, you're right. What brings Java into the organization besides Java programmers, right? Yes. Yeah. Probably Jenkins. Yeah. Probably, or your big data. Your, your, you just mentioned a few of them, like Apache Cassandra. Yes. Uh, and uh, your zookeepers and your Hadoops and your Sparks, they're all Java. Right. Yeah, exactly. So we had a Hadoop offering. That was our other uh, thing we worked with the Java community on. Uh, and of course, we had to uh, obfuscate it by calling it HD Insight. Our marketing team decided that was a good idea. But uh, yeah, <laughs> it was Hadoop and a few other things. Uh, yeah, but there were just several projects that we worked on. And we worked with the communities to make these happen. We made a ton of Jenkins extensions, for example, so that you could do pretty much anything with Jenkins to deploy out to Azure. So the whole idea here is, you know, we're working with the Java community, but we just needed to make sure that everything that Java people want to do works on Azure, right? That was that was the whole thing. And so that included MongoDB because, it's, you know, it's pretty popular, no SQL for that. Yep. Um, uh, uh, of course, MySQL, um, uh, yeah, Hadoop. Uh, Jenkins and a bunch of other bunch of other things. Uh, so we spent a lot of time just working with these guys to make sure that everything worked the way it's supposed to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, that was the main thing, though. And uh, of course, after that, we did build an SDK for Java, and yeah. it was funny. I mean, working with Microsoft on that was was a challenge. It, working at Microsoft internally at the time was actually a big challenge. So I, back in 2013, I spoke at a Java user group in Seattle. Sounds like a pretty harmless thing, right? It's the first time Microsoft ever spoke at a Java user group. I got pinged by legal at Microsoft. <laughs> They're like, oh, okay, um, you're going to be out in the public talking about Java and we're Microsoft and we need to have a meeting before you do that. And it was intense, but... Yeah, you know, we convinced them that it was a good idea. We were just showing off our Eclipse and IntelliJ plugin, right? We're just, right. just gonna we're just gonna show them what we could do to deploy things to Azure from Eclipse or IntelliJ, and they're like, "Okay, don't screw this up." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, I mean they're 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 uh, right. Every company is right to be a little suspicious of what people are going to go out and blab about, right? Obviously, so I don't blame them, but. But uh, I'm glad it worked out. You do great presentations, and I'm sure you uh, did them proud. That, right. you, did you say you spoke at the Seattle Java User Group? Yes. Yep. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, Wait, who's that? Uh, Nimrat? Uh, Nimrat Sandu, I think, I believe it was a guy. Uh, yeah. So um, he's guess where I sp- yeah. Guess where I spoke um, Tuesday. Oh, you were there. I was just there, yeah. Nice. Uh, small, small world. So, Seattle Java User Group. That was so fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that was just me. Yeah, look at that. Tuesday, November 15th. Funny world. Nice, nice. Yeah, I've been there. I've spoken a few times since then on different yeah. topics. Uh, but yeah, that was a big one. And that was intense. I mean, we had a lot of scrutiny from senior people at Microsoft. It seemed like, oh, you know, there was like 30 people in the room and we talked about Java and it seemed harmless to me. But there was a, yeah. was a big, big attention on that. So I'm glad it went well. <laughs> it, it, so, Java, I mean, Microsoft has done 
I mean, we're joking about it now, but like I can think of very few companies who I more associate with the vibrancy, the longevity, the good health, the good tenor, the good uh, good vibrations of the Java community than Microsoft. Right? I, I mean, truly, I, I would like to think that the Tanzu division of VMware, where we have Spring and all these open source technologies, contributes yeah. to that uh, yeah. in a big way. But yeah. you know, there's also um, Azul, right? There's a, a yeah. Uh, you know, there's obviously Microsoft. I think that's you're probably in the top three. Um, Oracle, you know, they get some credit. I think they've done more to hurt um, open source writ, writ large, but they've done a lot around Java to make it amazing. I mean, Java's prospered uh, inarguably under under Oracle, you know, and um, you know that. That's 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 rare air, rarefied air there, right? You're talking about Oracle, literally the leads of Java, and then Microsoft and Azul and uh, VMware, right? Like we're very few companies. I mean, maybe Google. I mean, who else contributes to? I don't even think. I, no, probably not. Maybe Red Hat, IBM. That's another one that contributes a lot, you know, to uh, yeah. to the Java ecosystem. So, and that's Microsoft. It includes Microsoft. Is what I'm trying to say. In in any yeah. list, you would have to include Microsoft. They are a net win for the Java community in every context. You know, I'm a big fan, uh, yeah. obviously. It's, I um, mean, at its heart, it's a developer run company, basically. I mean, yeah. you know, it's like, um, you know, Scott Guthrie, who's in charge of, I don't know, you know, 60,000, he has 60,000 people reporting to him technically, you know, there's a couple of, yeah. Well, but yeah. And, and, uh, and he goes and he does his own, technical presentations he doesn't just stand up there and wave his hands and say okay now some random guy's going to come and show you the demo no he actually comes out and does the demo and um and and he knows everything he's talking about and he can answer questions right uh, it's pretty pretty amazing i mean that's a good sign yeah you want you want somebody who's tied to the tech uh you know yeah, uh, and even, even Satya Nadella used to be uh, what they called an evangelist back then, which is the equivalent yeah. cloud advocate now. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I mean, we have a lot of, of developers. And, I mean, uh, big news this week, just yesterday, Yeah, aside from the spring release, uh, you probably... Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's a big one. Uh, big one, awesome. yep. And uh, it was National Botox Day, so don't forget that. Uh, <laughs> Aside from that, so the JCP, the Java Community Process election. I saw that. Congratulations. Microsoft joined the EG. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to be there. Martin Verberg, who um, is going to be a great representative. Jake Clarity. Yeah. yeah. But we've actually great. been talking about it for years. And yeah. it's like it wasn't the right time because we couldn't, we didn't have anything to contribute. We couldn't really commit anything meaningful. So we decided wow. not to. And now we got, you know, JDK and a few other things in the partnership with Spring and yeah. uh, others. And we're like, okay, now we have, you know, we can, I think we now can do, make a difference with the place at the table. So that's why I would love that. Joined it. Yeah. yeah. Right. You know, they, what's that old quote? Uh, you know, you're something, something you don't vote. You're, you're doomed to be judged by the people you did or whatever. You know, some, you know I'm, yeah. I'm glad you're there. You know, otherwise we suffer the uh wayward you know uh fascinations of other people you know i'd much rather have somebody that knows my ecosystem well you know um i saw a a great funny joke i saw a while ago was uh, yeah taco bell was voted best mexican restaurant here in las vegas and uh you know somebody 
posted something on on Twitter that said, nothing against Taco Bell, but it's, it's not the best. But it said, this is what happens when you don't vote, people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, now here's the thing. Hot take. Uh, Taco Bell's delicious. It's yeah. not Mexican food, but it is delicious. It is inarguably tasty. It, it, it is a... Uh, there's a chemical composition to that food byproduct that <laughs> that appeals to the taste, the, the human taste bud. Now, oh, 100%, man. I was don't know what it is. It's not Mexican. It's not even, I, I'm not even sure if it's food, but it's, it is very good, you know? The Frito Burrito was the ultimate American oh. junk food, and they got rid of it. I'm so sad. They have to, if Taco Bell's, oh. please bring back the Frito Burrito. Yeah. I love your food, and you could, if you wanted, if you wanted me to put uh, an ad here on on the show, and you wanted to just pay me in gorditas, you know, or chalupas, oh uh, yeah, I would. We could talk. Call me. Have your people call me. Talk about, you know, yeah, I, I love Taco Bell. I, it's not. It's, I'm not saying you should eat it if you want to live long, uh, you know. It, it's, but it's so good. It's so delicious. Hey, you and I are on the road a lot. You know, you get to some place. Oh, yeah. What are you going to eat? So something not too heavy so you can sleep. But Taco Bell's perfect. Yeah. And you, you go in, you grab, some, yeah, grab a few, grab a combo, and just that's it. You're done. Wait, did you say you're going to be coming to the Bay Area sometime soon? If you are, and to all of you listening, <laughs> my all-time favorite Taco Bell in the whole planet, on the whole planet, is in an area of San Francisco called Pacifica. I know the one, yes. Oh, okay. This Taco Bell, first it's of all, they serve alcohol. Yes, yes. Yeah, they serve alcohol. Second of all, it's by the beach. It's on the beach. It's, it's, it's on surf. the beach. Yeah. A few hundred feet away. So, yeah. yeah, so you're on the sand, you're on this balcony, porch area, whatever, you know, and you're, there's birds flying around, seagulls cawing and yeah. waves crashing. You've got alcohol and delicious food. And it's yeah. not like San Francisco has particularly warm weather, so bring a jacket or something. But it is so peaceful. And during the pandemic, you know, lacking for places we could go safely, that place has outdoor seating. And it was beautiful, you know, <laughs> so I could bring the, yeah. Like, we were, we were all in lockdown. And when, when they finally let us, like, conduct ourselves around the city a little bit and places were starting to open up a little bit in, like, late 2020 and early 2021, you know, we went there. We went there like four times It was in, in, in a year, which is four times more than I usually get Taco Bell, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, it, and it's like a 20 minute drive. It, it's not down the street by any stretch, but it, it was, oh, it's so good. It's so beautiful too. It was really, you know, it was literally an oasis in the desert of like lockdown, you know? It's, it's funny you say that. I always end up stopping Sorry? for some reason when I'm, uh, when I'm on that road, when I'm on the road from uh, San Francisco down to Santa Cruz or something, I always end up stopping there. Just, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so beautiful. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. We should go there. If you, when you visit, let's go there. We'll have ourselves a, a beach oh. selfie eating Taco Bell. Let's do it. Let's do <laughs> it. You know. Yeah. It's <laughs> okay. People, to people listening, trust me, what you have heard about Taco Bell, I mean, I don't know what you've heard. I don't know. There's a, people give it. A, it's got a bad rap because the, the trick is just to not think of it as like Mexican food. As long as you do that and you just say, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. This isn't, there's nothing in, 
it's not, you know, it's not like that, but as long as you don't think of it like that, you just say, this is a place that has a, a taco smell, you know, and it, it suggests tacos, you know, uh, or whatever, then it's fine. You know what you're getting into and you can be happy with it. Just yeah. Don't lie to yourself. You know, well, you know what else I think is kind of interesting? The, the, the burrito. Burritos aren't, as far as I know, they're not like uh, from Mexico proper, right? They're actually an American thing. Is that true? I, I'm going to fact check myself here. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, the, the, the burrito is something you could eat in on the move. Right. And, uh, in, in, in Latin American countries, they don't necessarily need to eat in a hurry. They, they tend to take it, you know, take it slow. And okay. Nice. And, yeah. Okay. So bear with me here. I, I stand corrected. I'm glad I do. Uh, um, they are a dish in Mexican and Tex-Mex cuisine that took form in Mexican cuisine, consisting of flour tortilla wrapped in a seeded cylindrical shape around various ingredients. Okay, so, but it's Tex-Mex. It was born, it was born of, uh, uh, where, where did it come from? Traditional food of Cuidad Juarez, the Juarez city, a city bordering El Paso, Texas, in the northern Mexican state of Chihuahua, where people buy their restaurants and roadside stands. Northern Mexican border towns like Villa Ahumuda, Ahumada have established uh, reputation for serving burritos. Okay, go. so they're so they're they're definitely there. However, the origins of the mission burrito um, uh, or mission style burrito can be traced back to San Francisco in the Mission District, Taquerias in the 1960s and 70s. The type go. of burrito is produced on a steam table assembly line and is characterized by a large stuffed flour tortilla wrapped in aluminum foil. It may include fillings such as carne asada, you know, all this stuff. So. Mm. And that is like a thing, uniquely San Francisco, right? Like, uh, yeah, like yeah. in the mission, you know. And then also San Diego has California burritos. Uh, this is, by the way, Wikipedia. So I'm not looking at the California. I'm not looking at like the history of burritos in California. I'm just looking at burrito wiki forward slash burrito, and it, it, California looms large in that history, which is why I thought it was uh, not necessarily Mexican because I'm I'm an idiot. Los Angeles has several unique local burrito varieties. San Diego, there's a California burrito thing that gets mentioned there. The yeah. first article mentions the super burrito from San Francisco. Yeah, like, it, so it mentioned there's one bit that talks about Mexico, and then there's three bits that talk about three cities in California. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, it's burritos are amazing. Like, you know, they're they're a whole meal. They're definitely uh, every, every food group. Yes. Yeah, I, they're well, they're not. I mean. We definitely made something out of it. And again, is it a Mexican anymore? I mean, the better version is probably the one in Mexico, right? Like, I don't, let's just be, but as long as we don't say it's Mexican, as long as we just say this is a food thing that wouldn't taken together, looks like something I could put in my tummy and not be sad, then maybe you're okay, you know? Like, just I'm don't the, the, the pinnacle was for me the Frito burrito. For those of you outside oh. of the, you know who might be listening to this. So you had beans, you had cheese, and a little bit of, uh, technically meat and then uh, <laughs> some um, salsa and then yeah. the piece de resistance they put corn chips in the burrito and it was small it was like 89 cents and you could wow. have a couple of them and uh, uh, you know you could just pop by for like two bucks you get a couple of Frito burritos and they were the to me, they were the ultimate in American fast food civilization. They were uh, so good. And then they got rid of them. Ah, oh, sad. It, it, for, for the listeners, 
it is lunchtime for both of us. <laughs> this, this conversation has way wandered. Way this is probably track. not what folks came to for. No, this. but That's it's okay. what I'm here for. So I'm glad. I don't care what, what anybody says. Okay, so okay, right. You're right. You're right. Uh, so it's great though. I love it. <laughs> Microsoft's kicking butt, uh, and they have become a steward and a champion of Java in a way that is. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't even know how to describe it. I mean, it's just, I mean, come on. They got they they have somebody like you, an amazingly qualified, talented engineer working on Java, serving yeah. and catering to its large ecosystem, uh, including its infrastructure, which is, like I said, I think that's a very unique angle. Um, yeah. And then, and so you've been there for that long. So now you're in this, you, and you mentioned, by the way, Scott Guthrie being an evangelist. That's the other thing people forget. You and I work in what is today popularly called DevRel, right? Developer relations and uh yeah. Um, we're advocates or evangelists or yeah. developer avocados, you know, whatever. Um, and uh, that a huge part of that ecosystem, a huge part of that tradition comes from Microsoft, right? The, uh, yeah. the, they were, I think one of the, them and Apple were among the very first to understand that you can't build a platform without enticing developers to build That's true. a platform. And so you have to cater to that audience. Yeah. So what's that like? How do you, how do you find the ecosystem like, what's it like to be an advocate at Microsoft, you know, and what we used to be calling an evangelist? Yeah, no, I, I, you just reminded me of Steve Ballmer uh, yelling, screaming, developers, developers, developers on stage. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, uh, you know, that was that was a big moment. That was probably 2010. I don't know when it was, but it uh, doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, working at Microsoft has been awesome. Like I say, like even senior people are engineers. And working as a Java developer, now that was challenging because, you know, they're used to .NET. So they're used to .NET and they're used to being the innovators and the leaders in a certain area, right? So Mm -hmm. I would go to events and they would say things like, oh, you know, don't release this announcement about our Java capabilities until the event. This is embargoed. You know, embargoed was a big word. Yeah. People would be like, oh, this is embargoed. And I would be like, guys, this is not .NET. Nobody, I could release this today. I could tell everyone in the Java community about it. No one's going to care. We're not the yeah. leader. <laughs> right. So, the amount of humility that we had to uh, accept, you know, in the open source world in general, not just, they yeah. were used to being the leaders and the innovators, and they were going to release some big thing that was going to have a huge impact on .NET. And it, it had to be kept secret until the day of, and it's like, no, we don't, we don't need to do that with open source, man. <laughs> it's like, you can just release it and, and you can amplify it in an event. And so we had to kind of make people change the way they do things. And the other thing was, you know, I'd be talking to somebody who you, who has a product that literally makes a billion and a half dollars a year for Microsoft. And we'd have to convince them, yeah, we need to, we need to open source some of, at least some of this because... right. And they're like, okay, but is it going to screw up my $1.4 billion a year? And we'd be like, um, we don't know. <laughs> you know? I mean, it looks like it won't, but we can't say for sure. Um, right. I do. I have an immense respect for Microsoft. I mean, they really went through a huge change uh, in 2010 to 2020 where... oh. My gosh. Yeah. yeah. They went from a product services boxes on the shelf of Best Buy to 
to services, right? Uh, which are, you know, you can't find a box at Best Buy anymore. It's not, you buy everything online now and you, you rent right. instead of buy basically. Uh, and so that was a huge change and Microsoft did it and they embraced open source without cannibalizing or damaging their current products or offerings and still making more money than ever. Um, and so I, I'm, you know, I kudos to the leadership at Microsoft that was able to do that. Um, and I'm not just sucking up here. I mean, I'm really, truly impressed at, at what happened. Some companies didn't make it, you know, um, I don't want to name it here, but there's other companies who just didn't make it to the cloud and they didn't, they weren't able to make that transition or they cannibalized customers or they damaged their reputations while doing it. And Microsoft was able to pull it off. So they did Through it. Perseverance and really hard work. And also, yeah. Taking significant risks. I mean, they didn't just, you know, yeah. you, you're right because they, you're right. They did make a huge change. Just in, just the embrace of open source as writ large has been something yeah. to behold, you know. And then the the energy around Java in particular is, you know, wow, absolutely. You're right, 100. percent And that those that mostly coincides with the Satya years. I think uh, when you said 2010 to 2020, that's what what did he take over 2011 or something like that. Like so. Yeah. Um, Amazing years. I, 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 you know, I've talked at great length on this podcast about how big a fan I am of today's Microsoft, you know, and which is, you know, and, and, and still don't love windows. Still don't love it. Don't, it's not a thing I'm going to install on purpose, but yeah, man, you know, you can't argue about, you can't argue that job that the Microsoft has been good for open source. They have been phenomenal. I mean, just GitHub right there. Just, yeah, you know, GitHub. they own GitHub. They, what else do you need to know? They, Yep. Yeah, the place was, where we do open source. Yeah. Right. That was another one. Everyone was afraid when we bought GitHub. Oh my God, what are they going to do? They're going to lock it down. They're going to shut it down. They're going to, everyone's going to have to pay for everything that's free now. And they went the other direction. I mean, they went the other direction. They went with, um, uh, they opened up uh, a free private repos and free repos for teams. And, and now, oh, yeah. Have, yeah. And then actions, you know, actions, you don't, you know, pay for those. And, and you, by the way, it uses a huge amount of resources to run. Action. Yeah. Every time you run an action, it goes out to a VM, creates a container, runs that container and, and the new code spaces as well. And, and so all that stuff costs money for Microsoft to run, but it's also worth it because GitHub's actually making a lot of money now. So, <laughs> well, by the way, I, and I've talked about this and I'm, and I, GitHub, I have, you know, close to a thousand different Git repositories that I've created uh, on GitHub across the different organizations to which I belong. I belong to more, you know, a dozen or more orgs and I use GitHub actions almost exclusively. You, you and I were talking about Jenkins. It's been more than a decade since I used Jenkins. Mm-hmm. Um, I like Jenkins. Obviously I owe, I owe a huge debt of gratitude, but I, there was, tra- there was a circle CI, there was Travis CI, and then there's Circle CI, and then if I can get up actions, and I don't know what I would do without it. I have hundreds of repositories that use GitHub Actions, hundreds, and some of them are just like care and feeding for websites that are based on static GitHub pages, right? Like, I mean, whole things that are that I can run for free, and just they, yeah. I pay for a domain name, and everything else is on on Microsoft's dime, and they don't ask. I, I would I pay for whatever I can. Mm. Honestly, I if if there's a if there's an upgrade. For GitHub or whatever, if like, I pay. I give. I I I spend what I don't know, ten bucks a month or whatever. It's some 
some some trivial pittance yeah. that they don't even ask for, I think. And I, I would pay more for their services if they ask, because I mean, it's there's just no way they're getting more from me than I'm getting from them. There's <laughs> just no way. It's impossible. It's imp- I know I'm I, I know how the sausage is made. There's no way you can do what I'm spending for yeah. the amount that I'm paying. You know, it's just not possible. And yeah. and they still do it. I don't, I don't understand why. I'm glad to hear, I'm glad to hear they're making money though, because I I love GitHub Actions. I love GitHub. I love everything in that ecosystem. It's phenomenal. You know, in um, our last uh, earnings report, they made a uh, billion dollars for the first time. So they're doing something right. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> But um, but yeah, no, I mean, the big companies pay subscription enterprise. So GitHub Enterprise is this thing you can get uh, the, the big companies use and they uh, has advanced security and a bunch of other things that is apparently worth it because people pay the subscription and, and use it. And that's that's what it's good for. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, but they could wring more money out of a small fries because I don't have a GitHub Enterprise account. I'm just one lowly guy and I have a GitHub account. But yeah. my God, I mean, at what point do they start looking at people like me and going, hey, you've got, I've got, like I said, I've got more than a thousand repositories for my various books, my podcast, my own little side hustles, my projects, my open source, my, just everything that I do lands on GitHub, even if it's just like to prove a bug out or something, you know, yeah. uh, like a little scratch repository. Right. And so at what point do they say, hey, you've got like, you know, we have, we have enterprise organizations with less repositories than you have, you know, pay up, you know? Um, ideas, man. They're doing fine. (laughs) Here I am working for Microsoft, and (laughs) tell us. Yeah, I mean they're doing great, man. I I love Microsoft. So, yeah, Yeah. you're working there in the in the heart of open source. Hey, can you tell us anything about GitHub Universe without explaining? You know, what what can you tell us that's not in bar? It's already out, right? Didn't it just happen? Yeah, like yeah, I could be wrong. No, uh, there was a there were a bunch of announcements. Boy, I'm uh, I'm drawing a blank. Don't tell us anything you can't like say out loud. Let me just find a no a recap. Uh, so GitHub Universe, uh, you know, they talked a lot about code spaces, um, right? Those are the two main cool things. They've been around for a while, but they yeah. highlighted them and amplified them. I think there was some new offerings around code spaces. Oh, uh, okay. Can I? interrupt you sir yeah go for it so i'm reading github.blog which i assume is the official blog from github um and okay so developers get 60 hours of github code spaces for free yeah. every yeah. month start building in seconds yeah okay uh code search and code view enable you to rapidly search navigate and understand code right from github.com okay sure yeah uh what else markdown reimagine task lists decomposes issues into tasks converts and tasks to issues Visualizes your relationship and GitHub projects and more, all in a polished new UI. Sure, great, nice projects. Uh, GitHub Enterprise. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. What is the use? What is the use case for that? I don't understand projects. I never really got into it. It's so, there. I want to click on it and do something. Yeah, it's like Kanban boards. So if you work in a big organization oh. and you have um, projects that you're trying to manage, um, you can use projects to um to basically organize your tasks delegate tasks and it can all be tied to actual code in an actual repo so when you're done with the code and you do a push it can automatically update the task because you know us yeah. developers, we love we absolutely have a big passion for 
updating Kanban boards and things when we're right. done. Yeah. So anyway, you can kind of automate that. Uh, so you don't have to, you know, do it and then tell someone you did it. Oh, oh that's, uh, I hate the double registry, double booking kind of thing. Yeah, that's yeah. great. So I, could, I close an issue and it closes the corresponding Kanban ticket. Yes. Now there's some setup you have to do, but yeah, basically that's the idea. And there's, uh, and it has a lot of different features, uh, workflow and things like that. So you can make sure, all right, so Fred can't send his PR. We can't merge Fred's PR until Stacy merges hers, you know, that kind of thing. And Fair. Set, up, set up, you know, because we don't, you and I, we both uh, write our own code and do things, yeah. uh, not necessarily in big orgs. I, you yeah, know what? Isolation. Yeah, I use it for, we use it for video production. We use a similar thing. Yeah. Too, you know, where we're sort of, because there's a workflow it has to go through. So um, that's a good idea. Except yeah. I produce all my own videos, like start yeah. to finish. It's all just me. I should do that though. I should try it because I, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'd love to, we should do it in offline Zoom and maybe you could share some tips on what that look like, looks like, verbs. What are they? Uh, yeah, that'd be good. And you can do time. They have templates so you can just uh, set up something and somebody can say, okay, this is the way we want to do our workflow for big company department B and, and, and they just add the template and everything works the way it should. So yeah. Anyway. Nice. I, I like this. Uh, you also open sourced mono sans and hubo sans. So thank <laughs> you for that. Like the, the fonts. <laughs> you know, uh, they yep. set up a $10 million M12 GitHub fund to ensure open source continues to get the funding it needs. $10 million. Yeah. That's a lot of money. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's just a bunch of stuff. Let me see. Uh, uh, the other, there's a donate button. I think they automated this donate button. That was a while ago, but they, a lot of people don't know about it, but you can uh, create a, a thing where you get donations from other people for your open source project. Uh, nice. Yeah, I, I can't remember. I don't know if they're using the payment system off the top of my head, uh, but um, I don't, it's uh, it's kind of cool. They've automated that part of it. That's what I heard. I haven't That's actually awesome. But yeah, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait. Now wait just a second. Wait. Wait. What up? Okay, I don't know if I'm reading this right. There's a blog again on GitHub.blog, twenty twenty two. 1110, what's new with code spaces from GitHub Universe 2022 with dashes between all those words. Developers have strong preferences and widely varying opinions about their chosen tooling. Okay, fantastic. As developers ourselves, we understand and strive. Oh God, okay, this is like, there's a whole sentence between what I'm trying to get to. Let's just skip that. So yeah. this week we announced, this week we announced code spaces, public beta support for JetBrains IDEs. In addition to our existing support for Visual Studio oh, Code in yeah. the browser on the desktop, Vim yeah. and Emacs, now yeah. developers can code in the cloud using JetBrains IDEs that they prefer, like IntelliJ or PyCharm. To connect, your, connect to your code space, download JetBrains Gateway and install the Code Spaces plugin from the JetBrains Marketplace. So yes. for folks who don't know, what is Code Spaces? Okay, so Code Spaces, um, you know how you, you go to a repo, you make a local clone, you work on the clone and then you push back up to whatever uh, repo. Right. Right. Right? Uh, instead of doing that, if you click on the part of GitHub where you usually get the link to clone, uh, there's a new tab there that says code spaces. And when you click on code spaces, it will actually open up a container. That's what we were talking about earlier on GitHub. Uh, it goes out to a VM, sets up a container and then runs 
what they call runners, GitHub runners. Uh, and it opens up a web-based UI, which is based on Visual Studio Code. And right. so now you're in a virtual environment, right? You're not on your local machine. So you could do this from the dodgy hotel in the hotel lobby, you know, right. the computer in the hotel lobby or the airport or whatever, somewhere really, really unsafe. Ephemeral and fleeting. Yeah, you can log into your, your GitHub and you can open a code space and work on it. And the nice thing about it, so there's a couple of different features which are uh, above and beyond your local clone too. There's this thing called dev containers, which is a way to preset the environment that you use. And oh, by the way, so when it opens in the browser, it's a it's a version of Visual Studio Code. And right. it has, you can use extensions and everything you're used to, all the extensions for Java and, and Spring and whatnot that are in Visual Studio Code already can be in your code space. And then you can save that code space and you can go back to it later. And it's still there. Um, it's yeah. there as a container. And, you know, it's got the same sort of Docker weird names. Uh, uh, I had one that was called Organic Cosmic today. It was, uh, yeah. So, <laughs> so anyway, you can go back, you open Organic Cosmic again, and it's back to where you were. And then you can you can push to that repo uh, uh, from that code space, and you can have multiple code spaces open at once with different versions of things, and uh, it's right. kind of cool. Um, now the uh, the other thing you can do is you can open that code space in Visual Studio Code, so you can open your local version of Visual Studio Code that you're used to working with, and it will access the container out on GitHub and the GitHub hosted runner and you can work with it that way. And then you can do things that are in code spaces that you don't have in or in visual studio code that you don't have in code spaces. Like you can do paired programming and, you know, shared, shared environments and stuff like that. Wow. Uh, and you could be working on something local and, and over in another tab, you're in the code space uh, in visual studio code. So that's kind of cool. Uh, and then extending that a little further, what IntelliJ has done is they've, taken that and they say, okay, now you can use a virtual environment that you have on GitHub in IntelliJ. So it'll run on your local IntelliJ, but when you're editing code, it's actually editing the code on the code space out on the cloud. Wow. And so you have access to all the tooling pre-specified in that dev container and yeah. in code space. So you have access to your Java, your Maven, your library, yeah. you know, all that stuff. Right, it sets up a new environment that looks like your own local environment, but you're not using that. So if I compile my code in IntelliJ, I guess I'm just using the compiler in the cloud and all that stuff. If I do runs and all that stuff, um, how does that work? That's a good question. It's a good question. Let me think. Let me think. No, you're using it on your local machine. If you're doing a comp- no, you're right. You'd be using a compile on the on the on the hosted runner. Yeah. It I don't know, but either way, it's Maven or whatever. So Maven runs. There's a whole bunch of stuff built into that hosted runner on GitHub. Right. Uh, like literally thousands of things. If you search for anyone who wants to do this, search for um, uh, Azure hosted agents, and you'll find a list of all the things you can use. And you can use um, there's there's hosted agents for Linux, Windows, right. and uh, and they have different versions of Ubuntu and all this stuff. So you can specify the versions and stuff like that. Um, so the hosted runners are pretty, pretty sophisticated and they have a ton of code built in. So what you're asking is the compile. So you would use Maven that's on the hosted runner or Gradle. Wow. Or, or, so I can log in from 
Yeah. I just need IntelliJ. I don't need anything else, right? And I can, or Visual Studio Code. I get, I can bootstrap my entire development experience. Imagine on-ramping. So going back to that GitHub Enterprise use case, yeah. imagine your large organization with a very complex web app and a microservice system. Yeah. And you've, you've, you as the lead of a project have spent an achingly, excessively painful amount of time, you know, nailing down every little bit to make it so that you can develop against this code base productively you have a database you have some command line utilities that are required you have a workflow and now you want to make that you want to transfer that recipe for the new hire yeah what does it look like well you don't want to publish a five thousand page wiki page right yeah create a code space and then they can they can log into that and they're off and running instantly and it's the tools that they love and use anyway you know like we have to do code and intellij right it's Uh, a container good deal yeah yeah so yeah yeah and you can also pre-install. So you mentioned all the stuff that's out of the box. You can also, as I understand it, install custom things as well. And you can require that that be present before they start using it. So sometimes you might get a code space that takes a little while to warm up. You actually have to like, it's going to boot up and install a bunch of stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, but still, it's still better than like every developer has to reinstall the stuff every time they join the company, you know? Right, exactly. Now, now that only happens, so it does take a bit of time. Like if, if you need an older version of Java or a newer version of Java, yeah. I think we have Java 7, yeah. 11. I don't know if we have 8 on there anymore. But these are the things that are already pre-installed on, or or if you need, um, I was talking to some folks in Israel, they needed an Israeli version of JDK that they're using, a very specific one. And they're able to add that, you know, automatically. Yeah. Um, and so it takes a while to spin that up. But the cool thing is once you've created that container, like I say, it, it'll sit there in that repo in a state and it's much faster to start up the next time because they're not creating it from scratch. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's what I'm saying. It's just it's yeah. genius. It really, and it's still, yeah. even if the first time it boots up and sets itself up, it's still automatic compared to you having to like puzzle through this wiki page and yeah. trying to, you know, speckle over the the cracks between windows and mac and linux or whatever your developers are using mm-hmm. to their uh, particular preference you know like it oh it's it's a brilliant piece of technology i'm a big fan there are some alternatives right there's like a git pod or whatever isn't that, isn't that a thing that's kind of in that space as well so yeah, yeah. I, actually i think JetBrains themselves have one now uh which is similar as well i think it's i can't remember what it's called but they have their own text editor and i believe they have sort of a, a way to do that too um fleet is it is it fleet? Yeah, that, that sounds familiar. I, I, That's I, the front end, I think. The yeah, UI. Yeah. I don't know. Whatever. But the point is, it's an interesting space as, val- as as validated by the abundance of choices. Yeah. And I think the leader right now, far and away, is uh, Microsoft's code spaces at the moment. You know, um, sure. yeah. I can't imagine it wouldn't be that way either. It's, a, it's such an amazing piece of technology. So well, it's yeah, just, that's exciting. Yeah, it's just so integrated with with GitHub that um it's incredible so that's that's the part that that makes us win i guess <laughs> it's, it's just yeah there. push a button and it fires up and and the other thing is copilot so copilot is i was oh, yeah. the first time i saw that and i was worried that you know i i looked into what they were doing because i've i'm have many open source libraries i've had source code that i wrote show up in unexpected places before and i didn't really like the yeah. way that felt and um so i was a little bit worried about how they did copilot now copilot for those of you who don't know it's an ai based tool and it actually writes code for you and it's a bit scary i was i i had some fun the other day um i wrote 
uh, you know, I, that that old classic interview, uh, you know, tech interview trope where you have to reverse a binary tree, right? Right. So I just I wrote on a whiteboard, no less. What's that? On a whiteboard, no less, with a sharpie. Yeah, yeah. So I, I just I was having some fun, and um, I just said, okay, what if I need to do a reverse a binary tree in Copilot? So I just typed, you know, public class reverse a binary tree. It wrote the code for me. <laughs> And there were two ways to do it too. It was like crazy. It was like, which, you know, it actually wrote two classes, two uh, uh, private classes underneath that were, um, that were our methods that were actually sitting there and they were ready to go. And all I had to do was connect them together. They were standalone, but uh, all I needed to do was connect them together and I could reverse the binary tree. So if you, if you want to, anyone, yeah, if you want to pass an interview, just say, can I just use my, uh, VS code here and have Copilot fired up and yeah, just uh, type public class reverse binary tree and it'll fire up the code and the classes and everything. But anyway, I was worried about uh, that's that's what it does. It actually generates code for you, um, and uh, you can do things like public class um, area of a circle, and it'll just write the code for you. Boom, uh, you know, just things, simple simple things like that. And uh, it it's pretty cool. What they did is they went through and they looked at all the public repos that had a license that they're allowed to do with non, non-attributed code, right? Um, and they went through all those repos. And, you know, like you, you're saying that, you know, you should pay more or something. Well, they're, they're kind of benefiting from your work, right? They're probably yeah. attached a license to that repo. They probably have uh, that specifically requires attribution and they probably have uh, benefited from your efforts, <laughs> so they kind of crowdsourced this whole thing and then they use um an open ai protocol to generate the code but it doesn't just like copy the code so if you wrote a class it's not going to just use that class it actually generates code so it looks at i i figured out a while ago just by trial and error that right now at least the way it works it might be different uh for whoever's hearing this later but the way it works is it looks at the class above the one you're working with, if there is one there, and or the method, and it will actually use that as a template. To so if you wanted, you know, if you do a, a get and a set of something, and right. spring, you use an annotation, you say get something, uh, and then the next one you say set. As soon as you type set, it will automatically generate code similar to the one you have above, but for set instead of get. Or if you want to go get. Uh, it actually knows, for example, uh, it, it common things like uh, if you're retrieving a date the, in the class above, then in the next class, it'll say, oh, OK, you, uh, and you type get name. It's going to write something that would go and get the name from that. And it, it, it wow. takes into consideration the protocol that you're using. If it's a MySQL database or whatever, it actually uses the right format for that. And and it's pretty amazing uh, the way it the way it does it. And it's just a huge time saver. I mean, uh, but brilliant stuff, brilliant stuff with Copilot. I mean, it's just, so it sounds like this is, it sounds brilliant. It sounds like it's short circuiting because, you know, it's a, it's a lot of work to implement an algorithm from a whole cloth. And so, you know, today's best, most tenured and brilliant professionals just go to stack overflow. Well, that's the difference between a good programmer and a bad one is the bad ones will try and do it themselves. The good ones will just copy from Stack Overflow. And move it sounds on. like, what? And move on, yes. yeah. Get and on. move on, yeah, yeah. Like, I, that's not a hill I want to die on. I'm going to just copy and paste that code and I don't care who knows. 
So you're, it sounds like that this cuts out the middle website. <laughs> in a way. <laughs> yeah, like I'm just, just let me copy the code that somebody else would have copied into Stack Overflow in response to my question. Yeah. You know, <laughs> just give it to me directly. Thank you. So yeah. that does sound pr- productive. Yeah, and well, the other I, thing is, it even does comments. So if you do like slash slash and uh, this class gets the really? name, it finishes that for you. It just, what? Yeah. Yep. It's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, could I, yeah, that's, that was not on my uh, 2022 bingo card, but you know, I'm sure glad it is. Uh, oh, the, like, the other thing. So GitHub, the other thing they have is GitHub advanced security. So they've done a whole bunch of things. They've looked at common patterns, like what does a Redis key look like and stuff like that. And um, yeah, they have algorithms for that. So this thing called GitHub advanced security is if you try to push something and some code and it has something that looks like a Redis key, it will either prevent you or warn you about it. And uh, yeah, so you know, that kind of thing. That's still a work in progress, but it was, uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah. That's phenomenal. I mean, oh, wow. There's just so much stuff coming out of that, that ecosystem there. Um, and again, it's all just how much is that for the average user? Like free. And I think CodeSpaces actually charges you at after some threshold which i think we just established was like 60 hours a month or whatever you know yeah you can do a lot completely free it, it, it's phenomenal just absolutely incredible uh yeah. people would be foolish not to take advantage of these features today you know i i could only dream i i would <laughs> imagine if our generation and younger had access to these tools just 10 years ago or 20 years ago can you imagine how much more productive we would have been but out of the gate you know obviously yeah, you know, I can't. I cannot wait to see what the level of productivity looks like in twenty years or ten years, where we assume the level of automation implied by GitHub code spaces and the AI there and all that stuff. Like, yeah, what will that be? What will we take for granted when whole algorithms write themselves? You know, um, that's kind of interesting. I mean, I've been around for a while, and uh, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I, I see this trend going back and forth. But you know, back in the nineties. Uh, IDEs were the big thing, right? And everything was in your local IDE, Visual Studio, or, or you know, uh, the, their competitors, Eclipse, um, others. You wrote everything in the IDE, and there was a certain point where it was very little code that you needed to write. There was a lot of different things you needed to set in terms of uh, creation, but it was almost like a code generator in some ways. Uh, and then they went full, like in the early 2000s and to, up to 2010, it seemed to go full into... CLIs, you know, command line interfaces, and everyone was writing code again, right? Everyone was typing a lot again. Uh, before that, it was a lot of mouse clicks, right? There was a lot of carpal tunnel syndrome from from mouse clicks and stuff. And then they went back to right. typing, 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 typing. And now it seems like it's not this singular IDE anymore. It's this broken down sort of environment. Like you have GitHub does some stuff with code spaces, and then you got your local machine that does a little bit if you want it to, and then you've got extensions that add a little bit of functionality to that. So like, there's this interesting return back to the IDE uh, and to be able to control things, you know, like GitHub Actions has a lot of control and, and, um, you know, Copilot and code spaces. And uh, yeah, it adds a lot of, uh, a lot of automation again. So you don't necessarily need to type as much anymore. So it's kind of going back and forth. It's interesting over time. Oh, it's so, absolutely. And I think the, yeah, the, the return of the smart thin client, you know, like, yeah. Um, at this point, my IDE is just a dumb terminal. Yeah. You know, I can type into it. 
I get validation and feedback, but all, all the interesting stuff, like running my tests, uh, my, my inner loop dev cycle, my validation, my compiling, all that stuff is cloud-based. And, and then from there, of course, you know, it, it gets deployed in the cloud and it goes to a cloud in the cloud, right? The, the journey from code to compiled binary to a jar to a Docker container, all that happens in the cloud anyway. Even if I'm doing everything locally 100% for development, everything yeah. after that is still all in the cloud already. Why are we so upset? Why would anybody be skeptical about just moving just that much more into the cloud, right? It's it's worked. Most of our workflow is still is already 90% cloud today for people. Yeah. So the idea that we're going to have this smart AI to help you write some of that code, so what? Great. Do it, please. Yeah. And then yeah. same thing for GitHub, you know, same thing for um, code spaces. The idea that my IDE, my development experience is now cloud-based as well. Yeah. You know, why not? Why the heck not? And, you know, large organizations like Google and, and uh, you know, others, they, they also have cloud-based, you know, development. This is not a new idea. It's not, it's not yeah. untoward or weird. Uh, it's just, it's just a matter of, do you have the efficiencies of scale, the economies of scale to support this kind of a development paradigm, assuming good internet yeah. and robust infrastructure, both of which Microsoft and GitHub have in spades, yeah. this can work, you know, and uh, why not? I'm excited. Yeah. And especially as we move more remote in the pandemic. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're limited on internet, yeah, let me say that again. If you're limited on internet, um, you know, you can do things in containers on your local machine as well. So there's always, yeah. you know, um, hosted runners for GitHub have a local version you can get um, if you need to run some operating system that's not covered by what we do. But other, otherwise, if you don't have a good internet connection too, so you can do things locally on containers and then push them back up, you know, so yeah. an option as well. But yeah, that's and that's pretty amazing actually when you think about it, right? Like, yeah, I my daily development workflow involves moving on hundreds of megabytes, if not gigabytes, of data every day. I do that. There's, you know, if you're writing, if you're using snapshots for a popular framework like, oh, I don't know, Spring, you know, you're using nightly snapshots. That means that every every day you do a new build, you pull down dozens of megabytes of new stuff. Right? Yep. That's just how you start the day. Everybody is. Anybody who's worked on snapshots in any in any context is used to pulling down megabytes, if not more, of new stuff just before they like the first build of the day when you're drinking your coffee. It's always yeah. slower, right? Because you have to pull down the nightly snapshots. Um, yeah. yeah. And now you're now you're pulling down new Docker images too, and you're also pulling down new Kubernetes clusters. And I mean, just the whole yeah, you know, Git repository can be tens of megabytes or hundreds of megabytes now. I mean, I just <laughs> I, I used to. Yeah, you know, I, I recall with uh, some fondness, you know, the insane liberation that I felt when we had 1.4 megabyte floppy disks, you know, like, oh, yeah, whole 1.44 megabytes. That was yeah. that's all I would ever need. You know, I could move everything. That was my entire life's work. Yeah, I could fit on that floppy disk, you know, and I could just move it and put it in the palm of my hand. It was just phenomenal and then a few years later they had those zip disks you know the 100 megabyte drives i was just about to mention drives. what a yeah 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 huge 100 megabytes are you kidding that was like there's no way i will ever need more than this ever and now it's like every day what's 100 megs you know are you are you old enough to remember uh are you, are you old enough to remember comdex so they used to have a comdex before consumer no. show ces so comdex was a predecessor to ces the consumer electronics show which is the big okay 
computer show here in Vegas every January, 200,000 people attend, or they used to before the pandemic. Uh, and, um, you know, anyway, so Comdex used to be cool. You could go there. It was in Vegas, and there were these tables, and the tables had diskettes that you could buy for like five bucks each. Oh, right. And they were all freeware. Yeah. Shareware. Where shareware, yes, exactly. Yeah, so you just reminded me of that with the diskettes. So I just I pictured, and, and so that's the way that we used to distribute things, right? Is is you would have these diskettes and you go to an event like Comdex and you'd go. and I used to buy, I used to bring an extra suitcase to pack those, yeah, uh, those diskettes. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take I got home. some great DOS games and you know, all sorts of like cool stuff there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was, That's how you did it as an indie publisher, right? You like there was no internet. You know, BBSs weren't they couldn't sustain downloads of that kind of size. So no. you'd go to these shows. We'd go to like swap meets. You know, like swap meets that have like local at the, at the, the local universities that have like these computer shows every week or whatever. Uh, yeah. And they'd have like vendors. You know, right now we've got the maker movement that's been around for like fifteen years now, right? But but yeah. that's there was a similar energy around like. Hey, I wrote some code and it's for free. You can try it out. And if you like it, send me a buck, you know, right? right. <laughs> like uh, it was nothing. It was just, and if you were, you know, some people broke through and they became Microsoft, but others never, they built these amazing pieces of software that did interesting things and then just kind of faded into obscurity. They yep. either didn't get moved to the new windows or they still relied on old versions of DOS, or maybe they were on like, Oh, it's too warp or something. Some of these binaries I got, like, I can't use this. This is, this is warp or amiga or you know whatever like it was just such a weird wonderful time i love that you can just take random people's software and put it in your computer and for the most part i never got a virus you know like i don't think i did um today that would be unthinkable you know just random ass people you've never met before never even heard of don't know about their website don't know if they even have an ssl certificate yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> such a what was SSL, uh, ssl back then no such yeah thing. exactly yeah. no such thing yeah like such a wet, random time, you know, like we, people don't realize how crazy that was. Uh, yeah, yeah, there were no sockets. Yeah, yeah, there were no what sockets, sockets. Oh, right, <laughs> so oh, that's the, oh, the, yeah, <laughs> it's like, no, oh, no. <laughs> that's the other thing that's crazy when you think about it, right? Like, we've got TCPIP, but there used to be divergent standards on that. There was like, oh, yeah, novel netware, and you know. Novell. Apple talk and token ring was yeah. the, the thing. Token it was, ring, yeah. Internet was not the standard uh, network protocol. You get a wire and it was a token ring and you had to use a terminator at the end of the token ring to get it. Right. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. yeah like it's just, we used to have to, there was not like one modem. There was multiple and they did different things. Yeah. It was like, oh, wow. Uh, yeah. That, that, so, and then I thought that was crazy. And then you fast forward to like 2010 and, you know, even we, uh, you know, the halcyon days of the 90s, even we worry-free lots, the halcyon days of the 80s and 90s, even those of us who came up in that era were still given the common sense not to get, not to get into a random stranger's car. And then here comes Uber. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. And, and now it's just like, well, of course I'm going to get in that random stranger's car. What could go wrong? And of course there's been some despicable, you know, <laughs> things that have happened but by, by and large i mean the system has worked you know like you can get into random people's cars just like oh. i could install random people's software 
I'll take my chances over a taxi who wants to take me on the way because this road is under construction or whatever. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. How much does your taxi ride cost? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, I'm not saying nothing bad has happened, obviously. I know people have had really shit experiences there, but yeah, I'm just saying, by and large, taking a car with a random person is not yeah. as terrifying as we are all led to believe, you know? Um, yeah. Interesting. Crazy. Um, well, my friend, I don't even know where, I don't know what we've done here. I, I let's talk about some, some Java stuff for a minute. What's yeah. the big thing? What's the big, what, what do we, what should we, we just talked about GitHub, right? And I'm really excited about that, but what's the big thing you want us to know about, uh, from team Java and Microsoft? Like, what do we, oh boy, you know? uh, there's a lot. I mean, um, you know, I, I won't talk necessarily about Java. I mean, we have our own open JDK. It's been around for a while. Um, so good. Yeah, it's pretty. By the way, oh, yeah, that JDK. I, I think I've, I've talked about this a, many, a number of times. The first group to provide a JDK that worked on Apple M1, Microsoft, right? They, yeah, it was just such a wonderful, dizzying moment. Like Apple releases a new chipset, who's the first one to make that viable for the Java community? Microsoft. Yeah. I mean, what a weird world, you know? Microsoft supporting Apple in an open source fashion for free. <laughs> I mean, just such a wonderful moment in time, you know? Anyway, carry on. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, you know, we, we've got a lot of partnerships with with Java folks, but the, you know, the things we produce, the OpenJDK, uh, we have a pretty good Java SDK that's being used. Uh, but the main thing is is uh, runtimes, um, our endpoints that you can use for Azure. Um, yeah. You know, we have this uh, Azure Container Apps. Yeah. Which is pretty awesome. Um, and what it is is basically... You take, we have a big Kubernetes cluster running and you can take one of our nodes and use that to run your apps just to try things out. You don't need to start Kubernetes or anything like that. You can still use some YAML if you insist, but you don't have to. Uh, and you can get, you know, for, if you've got something on a registry out there, you can just throw it on an Azure container app and it runs and um, and you can try scaling it. There's a little bit of scaling that goes on. It's not as robust as pure Kubernetes, but you can use this thing called Keda, which I can't remember what that stands for, K-E-D-A, which is a, a, a runtime event-based uh, Kubernetes event. I can't remember the rest, uh, but uh, it's a Kubernetes, Kubernetes event. I'm so slick uh, at these things, but uh, yeah, Kubernetes event-based scaling. So basically the right. idea is you can scale and you can create some new uh, pods that will scale up your application quickly. Um, and other than that, I mean, just I'm excited out there in the Java world with some of the things that are going on for containers because the whole thing yeah, about yeah. containers is, is quick speed, right? So I'm looking yeah. working with uh, the new versions of Spring uh, that just came out yesterday. Yeah. yeah so um, <laughs> also, I want to start working with um, the uh, we're working more with, believe it or not, Google's distroless uh, JDK distribution because they're like really wow. light and easy to use. Um, so yeah, there's a plug for Google. Um, good work on that stuff. And then we're you, cool. yeah. And then uh, we're all friends here. And uh, yeah. and then we're um, you know we're doing a lot of stuff with uh, code spaces and um, yeah, oh, it's so good. That's the best. So thing. good. 
for me. That's the fun part for me. So there's a bunch of different endpoints that we use on Azure now, including Azure Container Apps. And Grail VM, Grail VM integration with the JDK is so cool. I, you know, so when good. It, with containers, it's all about startup times and just anything you can do, including the Google Distro List and Grail VM. Yeah. Anything you can do with um, with the runtimes themselves are the, to make them faster to start because when you scale, right? You yeah. That it's not just creating the new pod; it needs to scale the new pod, and that right needs to happen uh, in a really quick way. Otherwise, you're not really scaling very well. And uh, uh, yeah, so that's really important as well. And I like some of the new stuff. The, um, the ATO for Spring, where um, is it ATO or AOT? Uh, I can't remember. Where you can do advanced AOT. Yeah, AOT. Thank you. Um, so the AOT stuff will be really, really useful for containers too. I foresee that in a way that you can hopefully get things sped up faster when you're working on containers. Uh, you know, inform the containers about what they should be working on. Uh, right. Things running a little faster. So yeah, I, the a- a- AOT means ahead of time. It doesn't mean as I discovered the hard way. Uh, airport of Thailand. Uh, <laughs> so. You know, it's good. It's good to disambiguate that for people who are confused. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the Spring Airport of Thailand is not the same thing. Yeah, whatever that is. No, Spring AOT. Oh, yeah, that's and, and and startup time is yes, that's good. But even for the apps where startup time isn't so critical, the GraalVM the GraalVM implies another big big benefit, which I which I love even more, which is memory footprint, right? Like. Yes. If I if I can deploy my full JVM application, my full Spring Boot microservice, and take like ninety megs of RAM, then yeah, I'll have that. Please, you know, why would I not? Ninety megs is my goodness, especially when you're being metered by resource usage on the cloud, whatever that is. You know, it'll fit on a diskette, <laughs> well, a zip drive. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is RAM though, right? Like, but yeah, but I know what you're saying. Like, it's ninety megs is. I mean, you start up and, you know, their JVM applications today take, what, a gig? I mean, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's not, it's not even, you know, Java is awesome, but it does take a lot of RAM, right? Um, sure. It's fast. It's always fast. In fact, GraalVM per transaction might even be a little bit slower than pure play JV, JRE based apps. Yeah. Uh, GraalVM native images, I mean, are a little bit slower, but yeah. in terms of memory footprint, 100 megs of 50, you know, 90 megs of RAM yeah. for everything, including the JRE. Yep. And all the libraries from the operating system, like for networking and all that stuff, their whole resident set size of your of your binary, ninety megs. That's incredible. That's phenomenal, man. That's yeah, it's a good deal. Not that now, of course, you and I, who work at cloud computing companies, we don't necessarily benefit when people can pay a tenth of the price <laughs> to deploy their apps. But uh, but still, it's pretty cool, right? Like, there's an interesting opportunity here. Oh no, it's it's uh yeah, it used to be that you know um you you would basically write whatever code you want and the infrastructure guys would have to figure out <laughs> how to make that perform, right? And uh and that wasn't your problem, but now yeah, now it is your problem because it, it has a direct influence on billing and hardware. Right. So yeah, yeah. It makes a difference. Um, difference. so we have to learn efficiency as developers and uh yeah, especially when working with containers. So. That's okay. At least I don't have to write that reverse sort algorithm anymore. I feel like reverse <laughs> the like, binary tree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that. You know, we're okay. It's a it's a give and take. Everything is all about give and take. Uh, what do you think, my friend? 
do we have anything else we need to talk about? I can't think of anything. Um, looking forward to uh, the uh, virtual version of Spring One. Likewise, that'll yeah. be fun. That's yeah. December. That'll be January, right? Sometime in January. January twenty third, uh, I think, or twenty fourth. Yeah, looking forward yeah. to that. I, w- I It's unfortunate it was uh, it was not in person, but that's the time we we live in, and uh, you know, it's it's good to cancel uh, versus um, taking chances with people's health and stuff. Right. Right. We- yeah. I don't know what the scenario was, but I'm glad it'll it'll. I'm glad to be uh, able to see everybody in uh, on online in January, so that'll be good. Um, yeah, I'm I'm really excited. I'm I, you'll be in SF around December. I I really hope we get to hang out. I have missed you. You and I got to hang out in Vegas a hot minute ago for uh, Java One, which was fun. Yeah. Um, but you were busy, of course, and I was busy, and it was just you know not enough quality time with my friend. You and I, you and I are—I've got like a handful of people with whom I actually had like periodic Zoom calls during the pandemic when we we're on lockdown. Yes. You were one of them, you know. I—I I don't yeah. think you and I got to hang out that much before, but during the pandemic, I—I I dare say, and you could correct me if I deserve to be corrected. I think we became a little bit better friends just because I think of that. So too. I think yeah. so. Too. Yeah, no, it's uh we should do more of that. We should do more of that. We should do some I'm uh, a fan. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh it's good to have uh you know, whatever this all is, it's just really good that we get to go through it all together. You know, I'm really glad. Well, um you're awesome. I know how to find you. I mean I, I managed to get you onto this old podcast, for example, so I don't need any help. But what about those who who don't have your phone number? How do people are you on the internet? Do you want to be found? And if so, where do people find you? Oh, the internet. What is that again? Oh, is that- <laughs> it's Noville Network. It's new. It's going to be great. Yeah. You watch. Yeah, no. Uh, so you can find me at B-Benz, B-B-E-N-Z, pretty much everywhere. Uh, B-B-E-N-Z, Twitter, GitHub, um, Mastodon. Yeah, new, the new hotness. Social. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, B-Benz is pretty much my handle everywhere. So you can find me there. And uh, Great. And feel free to follow me and ask any questions on Twitter if anyone has any follow-ups for anything we talked about today, especially Taco Bell. And uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's like mm, it's okay. I'm, I mean, we didn't talk about it too much, but I am now hungry, so you know maybe that's why we have to wrap this up. That and plus, there's a, I'm sure there's a reason. I don't know, but it's just fine. Um, thank you, my friend. Where where should people go? Do you have anything you want to send send them somewhere? So like a website they need to be looking at. You know, you know, we've got we've got something uh, I'd like to 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 promote. Yeah, we have a Java for Beginners series. <gasps> at Go on, aka slash Java for Beginners. So aka slash Java for Beginners, all one word. Okay, uh, no hyphens, huh? No hyphens or anything like that. Nothing. Uh, just go there. Um, we have a whole bunch of folks from Java at Microsoft. Uh, who have contributed 10-minute videos to teach people how to learn the Java basics. We just added records and modules. Uh, Kirk Pepperdine uh, did modules a little while ago. Uh, we have something on testing from Oleg Salayo uh, yeah. from uh, Test Containers and uh, some partners. Actually, we got to get you on there as well. But yeah, that's, that's one. if I'm going to pick one thing, but everyone, just search Azure Java, and you'll find all kinds of information. We have a ton of docs and things that uh, that are u- hopefully useful. <laughs> They're out there. There's a lot of them. Yeah, so, and these are uh, some. These are like top shelf talent that you've got. Those people, you, Oleg and, and and Kirk, are 
yep. you couldn't, you trust me, people, very few of you could afford their time at an hourly rate. Like just, you <laughs> want them to help you. They're, I couldn't afford it. You know, they're, they're the biggest and the brightest, you know? So that's an amazing, that's a cool. We should have talked about that bright and early. We should have talked about that yeah. out of the gate. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm terrible at self-promotion. I don't know, but uh, yeah. It's, uh, but that's the one. Yeah. 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 Um, wow. Good stuff. That's really good stuff. A lot of work. Yeah. It's like 23 modules and it covers all the Java topics. So even if you're experienced, you just want to learn something about some Java. We don't all know everything. Just go out there if you want a little refresher and uh, you'll find the basics of yeah. 23 different Java topics right now. So we're always adding more. So if anyone has any ideas, uh, let us know. So. Thank you for that. That's a great, that'll be a boon for the community. That's a, Another thing that Microsoft doesn't have to do, but they do because they're dope. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you. This is great. A Beautiful Podcast is produced by me, Josh Long. I do these podcasts because I believe that everything we do in software is for and made better by people. I want to hear from you. I'm Josh at joshlong.com by email or at S-T-A-R-B-U-X-M-A-N on Twitter, where, of course, my direct messages are wide open. Do you have guest ideas, topic suggestions, feedback? Don't hesitate to reach out. If you like the show, then please consider rating it on iTunes and leaving a review uh, as it really helps the show. I sampled music from Steve Combs's Them from Morning and Springtime and Steve Combs's Small Victory, both of which are licensed under a Creative Commons license. I'm trying to hire production assistants to make the production of this podcast easier. I want to make sure that we can add things like show notes and transcripts and, and just generally do more. If you would like to advertise on the show, then please reach out to me. Uh, and if you can't uh, or don't want to advertise but would like to otherwise support the show, then please consider supporting me at patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Josh Long for as low as $4 a month. Thanks again. No harm came to any seasons in the making of this podcast.